right, let's get in to the word of God this morning. Father God, we thank you for your presence. I thank you for your word. I ask you to give us ears to hear. I ask you to give us hearts that are open, that are clean before you. And that whatever I say today, God, let it be from you. God, I ask you to speak through me. I'm so honored that you would use me. And I ask that the words that are of you would take deep root in our lives and would produce fruit in the days, in the weeks, and in the years to come. And everything today that's just me, Jesus, let it be forgotten, let it be blown away, but let your words go deep into our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, I believe I have something that is from God today, mostly because I kept going back to the same passage of Scripture, and I really wanted to preach it from another angle. I had something else that I was trying to pull out of it, and every time I kept coming back to it, God was like, that's not what I'm trying to say to my ladies. I'm trying to talk to them about this over here. And so how many know you came to hear a word from God, not just a word from me? So I abandoned my message and picked up his message. So I am very excited to get started on it. So if you'll turn with me to Psalms 127. Psalm 127 and verse 2. And if you'll trust me, it might seem like an odd place to start. But it says, It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives his beloved sleep. This morning, I want to talk about the fact that your power to wake up is found in your ability to trust in his rest. Why don't you tell somebody next to you, put down your bucket and pick up rest. It'll make more sense later. Now, the funny thing about the way that God works is that this morning, I actually went to bed quite late last night and woke up quite early this morning. And as I was reviewing my notes, I was like, God, what kind of a weird setup is that? And it's a, he's speaking, I, he was speaking to the fact, I believe, that, that it's not always just the physical thing of not, not sleeping or not rising. It's the way that you're walking in that thing. Why were you up so late? Why were you up so early? That there is a rest in God that the women of God need to find, that there is a ceasing from toil. Toil is this unceasing work. It's this work that just moves. It's not producing. It's not not moving forward. It's just digging into a space. It's just walking through a space. And he said, I want you to abandon the toil and I want you to rest in the thing that I have for you. So several years ago, Phil and I went skydiving. I kind of got tricked into it because all of my brother-in-laws were going and they were like, hey, we're all signing up. We need to know by tomorrow if you're going to go too. And I'm like, I kind of like adventure, but I also kind of like my life. So I was like, ah, let me think about it. And then my, uh, my brother-in-law called me back and he said, hey, I just signed you up, so you're, you're going now. And so I was on the skydiving thing. By this point, I was jacked up for it. We were like, yeah, we're all skydiving. They take you through this whole thing. You've got this whole kit and they like, you know, safety check and all this stuff. And I mean, we're doing it tandem. I'm not like out there totally crazy by myself. So I've got like a professional and they're like, this is where we're going to get strapped on. This is what we're going to do. You get in this airplane, this teeny tiny plane that no one should be on. And they put all of us in it. 
So you slide in the plane and you start going up in the plane. And then because they want to sell you a video afterwards, there's this guy who's like coming down the line and he's like, now how are you feeling about your skydiving experience? And he's trying to like capture the moment of what's happening. Something very strange happened in that airplane. So if you know my husband and I, you know that he is the fun one. Like, I'm, I don't feel bad about it. It's just, that's our roles. I am the serious one, and he is the fun one. He has jokes. He likes to make fun of everything. Everybody is his best friend. Like, he will go in the store to pay for the gas and come out and be like, hey, that, that guy over there, he's my new friend. Like, your new friend. You talk to him for 30 seconds. Phil is the fun one. I'm the serious one. I made sure we had all the snacks that we needed that morning, all the supplies that we had set. It's all good. We get in this plane, and you know how under stress sometimes weird things start coming out of you? The man is going down the line, and I can see him talking to my hilarious, funny, joke-loving husband, and he's like, how are you feeling? And Phil is stone-cold serious. He's like, good, I feel fine. We're skydiving today. So I'm watching this thinking, what is going on with my husband? How bizarre. And the guy keeps coming down the line. He gets to me. I don't know if you've ever had one of those experiences where you're like watching yourself. All of a sudden, I've got all these jokes. He's talking to me and I'm like, oh yeah, we're flying high. I've got like gun fingers going on and I'm like in and out of the camera. And I'm watching myself going, what are you doing right now? Who is this person? Right? in this strange, stressful environment where I'm realizing I have very little control of what's happening, all of a sudden some odd things are coming out of my husband and I. Some things that are very out of character for our normal, everyday behavior as we're in this very unnormal, not everyday situation. I don't know what stress does in your life or what it starts pulling out of you, but I have found a very common denominator, that when life starts pushing in on most of us, instead of sitting back and saying what needs to happen, we start grabbing for control, we start working for toil, our minds start going, what do I need to do in this situation to move it forward? What can I grab a hold of? We let go of rest, we abandon trust, and we run instead towards towards aimless, workless toil, saying, what can I get happening out of my own hands and out of my own work? So if we look in Mark 4, we find the disciples in a situation a little bit like this. Mark 4 and 35 says, on that day when evening had come, he said to them, he being Jesus, let us go across to the other side and leaving the crowd they took with, they took him in the boat, and just as he was, and other boats were there with them. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And then he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear, and they said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea 
obey him. So we find the disciples here having left one situation, getting into a boat with Jesus who said, let's go to the other side. On the midst of that journey, a storm comes. Jesus is asleep in the middle of the storm and they are working to get this boat cleaned out. They have found themselves right in the middle of a setup for a storm. They have been positioned for a storm ahead. Now, the thing that I find surprising is that when you're reading through it, when you read through it in any of the synoptic gospels, it seems like they're unprepared for this storm. It seems like they didn't know that it was coming. But the Sea of Galilee where they were crossing is not a place that was not known for storms. It's positioned between hills. It's set up specifically in a way that storms happen through there, that the wind would come through and would kick up fast-moving winds and pick up the waters and turn it into storms. Yet in the midst of it, they seemed to not be prepared for the fact that they were in a position for a storm. And it makes me wonder if they thought that just because Jesus was in their boat with them, that they weren't going to face a storm. That they thought just because he got in with them, it was only going to be smooth sailing from here on out. And because they weren't ready for it, because they weren't prepared for it, because the situation didn't match their expectation of what was getting ready to happen, they started taking control of what was going on and they let go of their rest and they turned instead to toil. And I wonder how many situations in your life you find yourself in and you didn't expect it to look like this. And you thought just because you brought Jesus into your boat with you that you weren't going to face a storm. You thought just because you asked Jesus to come into your life that everything was going to be smooth sailing from here on out. I'm so sorry if somebody told you that because you became a Christian and you were walking with Jesus that storms weren't going to come your way and they find you now unprepared and unexpected of what's happening. And instead you find yourself grabbing for toil and grabbing with your own hands when there's friction in your marriage because you didn't think that that was going to happen because you have a good godly marriage. And you find yourself grabbing and reaching for what you can do out of your own work and out of your own hand when you get fired from that job because you thought because you pay your tithe every single week that you are always going to have the perfect scenario in front of you. And you have been unprepared for what's happening. You thought that your children were never going to have a bad season or a wayward time. And certainly that you were never going to have a child that got addicted to something. And so now you're not trusting in what God can do, but you have started picking up buckets and started trying to fix this out of your own hand. Saying, what can I put my hand onto? What can I grab onto? What can I start to rearrange and to organize? How can I draw this back into my circle, into my, into my sphere of influence? What is it that I am capable of doing out of the works of my own hand? I don't know if you've ever tried to bucket out water that's coming in quickly. I have. It is wasteful, annoying work that is fruitless. Our basement flooded several years ago. The power went out and that made our sump pump go out and then the water came in and we panicked and we grabbed buckets and we just started trying to bucket out feet of water, buckets at a time. And it didn't take us long to realize 
we are not making any progress here. We are just exhausting ourselves. We are just wearing ourselves out. And woman of God, you are wearing yourself out. If like the disciples, you are in the midst of the situation and you are toiling with the works of your hand because you haven't yet read John 16, where he says, I have said these things to you that you may have peace in the world. You will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. We have to take heart in the midst of our trouble. He has called us not to work in the midst of our trouble, not to fight in the midst of our trouble, not to toil in the midst of our trouble, but to take heart and to have peace in the work that he can do in us, to lean into who he is in the midst of it. And this is what the disciples weren't grasping. They didn't have peace in the midst of their situation. They didn't have heart for the journey ahead in the midst of their situation. They were working out of their own hand. They were frustrated out of their own hand and they were fighting a storm that they were not able to overcome. Instead, they could have taken heart in what Jesus had said to them. Instead, they could have taken heart in the fact that he told them that we are going to get to the other side and remembered that even when you can't hear him, he still said the last thing that he said to you. When you're in the midst of a storm and you say, God, I can't hear what you're saying anymore. And God, the winds have gotten loud and God, the noise has gotten loud and the water has gotten loud, God. And the sound of this, of this breaking in my life has gotten loud. And all I can see is my bank account depleting God because this isn't the place that I thought I was going to be in. And in the midst of all of that noise when you feel like you can't hear him what was the last thing that he said to you take heart in that the last thing that he said to them was we are going to go to the other side and they didn't take heart in the vessel that he gave them he gave them a vessel to move from one side to the other and they had no trust in the vessel that he had given them They believed that it was faulty. They believed that it was going to sink. They believed that it was going to be overcome. But he had placed them in something. Woman of God, he has given you a vessel. And you are stronger than you know that you are. And you are more capable than you know that you are. And he has built you for this journey. And he has equipped you for this journey. Ephesians tells us that he has made you just like he needs you to be. You are his divine craftsmanship. And he has crafted you and equipped you for the journey that he knew would be ahead. Because he knew that you would face storms. And he knew that you would face trouble. And so he said, I need to make sure that she's built just right. I need to make sure that her stamina is inside of her. I need to make sure that there's a little bit more gumption in this one. And I need to make sure that this one has intellect for the place I'm walking her to. And you need to trust in the vessel that he has given you. Don't start leaning out of it and saying, I need to go fix some things in my life. I must not have enough of this because I see that she has that. She has that for the journey that he has prepared her for because that's her vessel for her sea and for her storm. But he has equipped you with everything that you need for your sea and for your storm and for the journey that he is calling you on. And we need to take heart in the fact that he has given us a vessel. And then we take heart in the future. 
Jesus was resting in the midst of the storm because he knew that this was not the end of the story. There is work to be done on the other side. There is more that I have come to accomplish. God has more ahead of me than he does behind me. He has more things that he's drawing me into and that he's speaking to me about. So I take heart that there is a future day ahead of me. I take heart that there are more things coming to where I'm going than the things that I have left behind. But the disciples didn't take heart and they didn't have peace. And when the storm came, they went to work. What are you working on in your life that is a storm? Because what their work revealed in their life was their work revealed the fear that was on the inside of them. Inside of them. They had fear that they weren't going to make it to the other side. They had fear that the sea was going to overcome them. They had fear that the words that Jesus had spoken to them weren't actually enough to carry them through. And so they went to work. They had the natural fear of the storm. Being in a storm is overwhelming and it's overcoming and it seems bigger than you and they felt the smallness of who they were. But on top of that, they had this cultural fear that started speaking to them as well, louder than the fact that they had Jesus in the boat with them. See, the the Jews at the time had a lot of belief about what the sea held in it a lot of mystical belief about what was under the sea and what could happen on the sea, especially a sea at nighttime. That there were large creatures that were deep in the sea, a lot of stories about how dangerous the sea is and how overcoming the sea is. We see it when Jesus comes walking to them on the water and they say, is it a ghost? Their first response is that a ghost would be meeting them on the sea because the sea was this mysterious, mystical place to them because it was unknown. And how many know that when we're in unknown places and unknown spaces, often instead of turning to the truth of what God's saying to us, we start turning to the lies of the enemy. We start making up stories about what might be happening in this place or in this situation. And so because they were in an unknown space, and so because you find yourself in an unknown space, in a place you didn't know you were gonna be in, you allow some lies to start building up in your life. You allow some untruths to start speaking to the fear in your life. And now instead of trusting in God, you have to feed your fear because you didn't know it was gonna be like this or you didn't know it was gonna look like this or you didn't know you were gonna be with people who looked like that or who talked like that and you don't know a lot about this culture that he's brought you inside of and asked you to speak to and so now we start building up some lies. Come on, this is the root of racism that we start building up some lies about what it must be like in a space that I don't know anything about and that starts to feed my fear and now I start trying to control what's happening in my world and in my neighborhood and in my environment because I just don't know anything about it. And what cultural things, what cultural lies have you allowed to build up some unbeliefs in your life that now you're running after and now you're striving after and now you're toiling after and they have nothing to do with what God has spoken over your life. 
You are running after a level of education because somebody said to you that that's what's required to step out into a space. You are running after what it means to be a mom that has something to do with what, not what God has spoken to you, but what a culture around you has spoken to you. And you are working and you are striving to keep up with some Pinterest version of what a four-year-old's birthday party is supposed to look like. And you are toiling aimlessly because it's not what God spoke over your life. You are toiling aimlessly to be an image of some picture that you saw somewhere that has nothing to do with the vessel that God made you to be. You are sweating at the gym, not because you want to be healthy, not because you're trying to do the best with what he gave you, but because you're trying to make it fit and make it work. And you have stepped out of the rest of his presence and into the striving, aimless toil of pounding, beating aimlessly at the air, running after something that is not what God spoke to you. It's what your culture spoke to you. And the disciples find themselves fighting what their culture has spoken to them when they could have been resting in what God had spoken to them. Just because they wouldn't take heart, because they wouldn't listen to the last words that Jesus had spoken to them, And so instead of listening to what Jesus spoke to them and said, let's go to the other side, they started speaking something over themselves. Did you bring us here to die? Do you not care if we perish? Do you not care if we're out here engulfed by the midst of this storm? And it echoes in my ears the words of the Israelites when they came out of Egypt and they were walking in the desert. And even though God had proven himself so faithful in their life, even though he had done so much and he had parted the sea, they got out there and their fear started gripping them. And they started crying out again, did you bring us here to die? And they find themselves turning back to what they knew instead of leaning in to the presence of God and into the rest of God. And Moses goes up to a mountaintop and when the children of Israel should have been resting and should have been waiting and should have been just sitting in the presence waiting for what Moses would bring back to them, they began to fear and they began to turn to toil. Instead of waiting and saying, there is something that's getting ready to happen, let me just wait and rest and see what that thing is, they said, We don't know what's happening, and so we need to go to work. So let's get to work, and let's start building an idol, because that's the last thing that we knew is idols. And so they started putting their hands together, and they built an idol. And what happens, instead of waiting for who God was going to get ready to reveal to them, they started to create their own God out of something, because it's all that they knew, and they wasted their energy, and they wasted their effort building this idol. And what are you making an idol out of in your life? Out of the work of your hands, toiling and working and building and striving and putting together that your stamina is your idol, that your intellect is your idol, that your strength is your idol, that your ability is your idol, that anything that you can do out of your hands, come on, we brag about odd things today. 
I can get by on four hours of sleep. Well, aren't you awesome? No, he has called you to rest. There is a sleep for the people of God. There is a rest for the people of God. There's something about resting that says it's not me, but it's you. There's something about resting that says I can't do this out of my hands. When we step into his rest, there are things that God is going to speak to us. And he can't get over all of the clamor of your banging and of your building of your idol. He's trying to speak to you, but the noise of your work, the banging of your hammers, the smacking of your boards together is too loud in the atmosphere above your life because you are running from thing to thing. You are running from moment to moment. You are running from appointment to appointment. And God says, I have the answer for the thing you are running after. I have the answer for the thing that you are trying to seek and that you are trying to find, but I need you to rest in it. Reminds me of Joseph, not Old Testament Joseph, New Testament Joseph. When he finds himself in a crazy situation, he is a good Jewish boy and he has a fiance who has some story about being pregnant that an angel and God apparently came up together with her with. And he knows that he didn't have anything to do with it. And so he decides in himself that he's going to divorce her quietly. The decent thing to do, he decides, is going to be to divorce her quietly. But before he rushes into his decision, he lays down to sleep. And too often, we are running into our decisions. We are reacting to the situations that we find ourselves in. Something happens and you say, I have to respond now. I have to speak to this now. I have to do something now. I have to send that text message now. And God says, if you would rest for a minute, I actually have a better plan. Maybe your plan seems decent, Joseph, but I'm trying to pull you into my story. And Joseph lays his head down to sleep, and while he's sleeping, the angel comes and speaks to him. I wonder what God could speak into your life if you would just learn to take a nap, if you would just learn to lay your head down to rest, if you would just learn that you don't have to run after the answer, that he is more committed to the outcome of this thing than you could ever possibly be, that there is more on the other side if you will just learn to rest in him. A few years ago, Phil and I were um, going to a wedding. We were heading to a wedding. It was kind of like a really lovely outdoor wedding. So I can be kind of a know-it-all. I know. How shocking. So we were going to this wedding, and I think the wedding was supposed to start at 3.30. And somehow I had got it into my mind that it was supposed to start at 3. And so we get there, and I'm like, come on, you know, like you don't want to be late to a wedding, walking in with the, like, with the bridal party. That's the worst. So I, we get there, and I'm like, come on, like, we have to get inside, you know, it's like five till three. We get there, we walk inside, and there's like no one there. So this is embarrassing, but I want you to grow in the Lord today. 
So my first thought that I say to my husband out loud is, can you believe all these people are late like this? My first thought is not, I may have gotten the time wrong. No, no, my first thought is 200 and something other people are late today. Why? Pride and arrogance that looks and says, well, I must be right and everyone else must be wrong. I must know what's going on in this situation and no one else knows what's going on in this situation. And that is exactly why the disciples are working while Jesus is napping. Because they think they know within themselves how to get an outcome to this situation, how they're gonna get through this situation. And let me just give you a hint that whenever you find yourself in a situation where you are trying to wake Jesus up to bring him into what you're doing instead of looking at what he's doing and saying, why don't I bring my life alongside of that? You are in the wrong position. The disciples are in the midst of a storm and instead of saying, Jesus doesn't seem worried, he's napping. I might as well go take a nap as well. They say, Jesus doesn't know what's going on. Get up and come help us. They did not wake him up to speak to the wind and the waves. The end of that, of that chapter that we read, of that portion of scripture that we read, tells us that that was not their expectation. Because when he spoke to the wind and the waves and calmed the storm, they said, oh my Lord, who is this? What just happened? No, they were waking him up to pick up a bucket along with them to come and be part of the toil because their pride said, I know how to solve this situation. I know what to do in this situation. I know how to walk this out. I know what needs to happen. But humility comes before God and says, I can't do this on my own. And since I can't do this on my own, I might as well sit down. I might as well rest. I might as well take a nap. I might as well just wait and see because there are certain things in your life that you cannot fight, that you cannot overcome, that you cannot toil your way through. You just have to stand in his presence and say, in the midst of your presence, I'm just gonna raise a hallelujah because I don't know what's happening with this right here. It doesn't match my expectation. It doesn't match the story I thought was gonna happen in my life. It doesn't look like what I thought I was going to walk into. It doesn't seem to match up with the last thing that you said to me. But since the last thing you said to me was that we were going to get through this, I have to stop fighting it and I might as well just wait in the midst of it. Women of God, we have to lay down our pride. We have to lay it down. That thing inside of you that says, I can do this. I'm going to make it happen you know you ever get that I'm gonna make these kids listen I'm gonna make this business work I'm gonna make this friendship what I want it to be but you can't do it sometimes you have to step back and say I can't do this but I serve a big God I serve an awesome God I serve a mighty God and so I'm just gonna rest in your presence I'm just going to stand in where you have placed me. I'm going to lean into who you are. Because Romans 13 says this. It's one of our base scriptures. 
Romans 13 and 11 says, besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. There is a time for waking, and there is a time for working. There are things that he has called us to. The disciples in this story were coming from work and were moving to work, and they wasted their resting time because they were afraid of what was happening, because they didn't understand the rhythm of what Jesus was trying to teach them that there is a time that I'm gonna call you to wake because there is great purpose and there are great things that I have for you. But if you have wasted your energy and toil, you can't run after those things, woman of God. If you have allowed the enemy to distract you with big winds and big waves that look really scary in your life, if you have allowed yourself to be drawn into what culture has spoken to you, then you will not be able to rest in that place. But God is calling you to a place of rest so that he can take you to a place of work, so that he can awaken you to the purpose of God in your life. And everyone who can, if you'll stand with me this morning, I want us to leave here knowing that we can rest in his presence. I wish that I had a three-step for you of how you learn how to rest in his presence, how you learn to trust in what he's doing. You stand on one foot and hold a hand behind your back and wiggle just right. It puts you into rest, but it's an inward movement that says, I lift my hands, I lift my life before you, God. And I say, I'm gonna rest in who you are. I can tell you what it looks like. What it looks like is this morning. When you find out at 11 o'clock at night that you're not doing the second session anymore, you're doing the first session in the morning, and that one of the most prolific Bible teachers of our time is going to be there, let me tell you that everything on your inside, everything in my mind says, I need to go back to work. I need to stay up all night and I need to relook at my notes. And when I get up in the morning, I need to rework all of my notes. And I didn't do this right and I didn't do that right. But that's not what I did when I woke up this morning. And no doubt, when I re-listen to this to try and get better, I'll say, oh, I should have said that part differently. Or if I would have approached this, I maybe could have done that. But instead, when I woke up this morning, I left my notes in my bag and I went into his presence. And I said, God, I need you this morning. I wanna lift up your voice. Because yeah, there are things that I can do to get better. But I could come here and give you the most prolific speech that has ever been heard in the history of humankind. But if his presence isn't on it, it doesn't mean anything. So I said, yeah, maybe there's more things that can happen to the notes. But God, your presence, let me rest in this. Let me not go to the work of the thing that I can do. Let me go to the space of who you are. So I just want to pray two prayers over you this morning. One is I want to pray a very 
practical prayer for physical sleep. The enemy is a liar that tells you that you cannot have good rest at night. The Lord gives sleep to his people, literal sleep. You are not designed to be anxious. You are not designed to wake up in the middle of the night with your mind spinning, unable to get back to bed. You are not designed to only sleep in pockets. You are designed for rest. And I believe in it deeply. <laughs> I'm passionate about getting sleep because we have this culture that speaks to us and says that it's admirable to live on no sleep. And it's not what his word says. And it's not how he designed your vessel. It's a lie that says it's the work of my hand that can do it. So God, I come to you right now. I thank you for access to your holy throne room. And I speak over these women that every woman that struggles with sleep, God, is about to experience a rest in you like never before. God, that when she lays her head to sleep, your peace would come into that place, your calm would come into that place, you would wrap your loving arms around her and she would rest through the night and she would wake with energy for the day ahead. That that sleep would move her, God, into the thing that you have called her to. And then secondly, God, I pray for our hearts and for our minds. Let us not toil with the days ahead. Let us not toil with everything that comes into us. Let us not let fear be the loudest voice in our hearts and in our minds or our culture be the loudest voice in our hearts and our minds. Let it be the words that you have spoken to us. Let it be the thing that you have called us to. And let us find rest in your presence, Jesus. And you, who you have designed us to be. We thank you for it, God. And Jesus, mighty, powerful, awesome name. Amen. Amen, amen.